my talk tonight is, I guess, basically about prayer and the relationship between prayer and meditation, how they kind of interact and interplay with each other. Um, I'll talk a little bit within the within why this topic comes up for me. Um, but I wanted to, before I get going, just kind of give um, just a little gentle um, point of awareness or caution that um, I do start um, by talking about the tragedy that happened in Newtown, Connecticut, um, which I think was about two or three weeks ago um, of a shooting in a, in a kid's school. Um, so I just wanted to let you, let you all know that and um, just notice as I'm speaking, which I will also be doing, just what's going on inside. Um, if, if you um, check out and go into story, um, you know, it, it could be because of some of the content um, and that's, that's natural. Um, and just take the space you need um, and then as you can to come back to listening um, and staying present. The shooting in Connecticut two weeks ago makes it almost impossible not to feel the pain of an imperfect world. There's always tragedy that occurs in life, but something like this really hits home. We've had, um, on a, on our sh in our short time on this planet, um, probably a good handful of things that we're super aware of um, that equal this, this um, kind of tragedy. And I think personally, probably there's um, many more. In such times, it is easy to surrender our hopes and dreams of a better reality. Jewish practice offers specific tools to be re-inspired to live fully as we transcend and include such tragedy. So this is important, this transcend and include. What that means, what, what I mean by that is that um, many times in grief or with, when tragedy arises, um, people want, you know, you just, just get over it already. Or okay, you know, move past, get on with your life. Um, I was talking with someone today even about joy, like a really joyful thing. Um, people sometimes say, you know, okay, that happened in the past, move on, move on. So, um, so the idea of transcending means that we are um, growing, we're changing, we are expanding, but not um, forgetting what happened. So it's a, you know, very, it's a, it's a deeper process um, and it's a more authentic process to, to transcend and include. Um, it admits the reality that um, it's not just so easy to cut the past um, and we shouldn't have to. So the tool that I'm talking about and it's kind of all good, all kind of Jewish tools boils down to one main tool and that's the Torah. Um, and what I mean by Torah is not only the five books of Moses, which I'm going to be talking about the the portion of this, the week a little bit and some of the wisdom from the portion of the week. Um, but I mean um, the huge body of knowledge um, that is inspired by those stories and those rules that are found in those five books, um, including the stories of our life. Um, there's the written Torah and the oral Torah. Um, and the oral Torah is what keeps the written Torah alive because it allows the written Torah to be reinterpreted in every generation. So in this week's Torah portion, and for those who don't know, every week in synagogue a different Torah portion is read um, all over the world, basically. So in this week's Torah portion, there's a story about transcending and including 
tragedy and trauma. Um, and as we shall see, um, you know, this could really be a multi-generational process. So it's not only up to one generation to kind of figure everything out, but sometimes it takes um, time. Um, just a short story about that. Um, my, this is kind of like a family story that my grandfather, Naftali, who I, I never met, he died when he was 50 and my father was 25. And when my father turned 50, you know, he was really worried, you know, just, or when he was approaching 50, he got really worried about, you know, his health and, um, you know, and I was kind of, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but in my mid-20s and I was worrying about, well, am I going to have to be going through the same thing my father did? You know, thank God my father is, um, you know, alive and well and healthy and he's, you know, past 50 right now. Um, but, you know, that, that has stayed with me. And I could imagine that as I'm approaching 50, you know, it's going to, that story will come back for me to work through. And, you know, will I, how will I deal with it? Will I pass it on to another generation? Will I not? Um, it's left to be seen. Um, so I think a, a tragedy like a few, the few weeks ago in Connecticut is something like that. It's not just, you know, a one, a one shot fix. So the story that I'm talking about in the, in the Torah portion is the reunion of Jacob and Joseph. Um, basically, um, this is kind of a several week story where, um, as most, most of you probably know, Joseph is one brother of many. Um, his, their father is Jacob, also called Israel. And Joseph is kind of one of the younger, the younger child. He's kind of cast off by his brothers to Egypt. And um, he becomes a great, like, second-in-command to the king. Um, and then his uh, family kind of reunite with him while he's in Egypt. He makes it a little bit hard for them, plays around with them, gets even with them a little bit. Um, but in the end, he says, you know, it's me. I'm, you know, you don't recognize me because I look so fine, but it's me. And, you know, I love you, and we're going to take care of you. Um, because there's a big famine all over the all over the place. So, um, so the the tragic part is that when the brothers cast off Joseph, they tell Jacob that he was killed by a wild beast, and they show him his. If you've seen the Broadway show, like the beautiful golden coat, and it's all covered with ram's blood or something, and um, so Jacob basically goes through a huge. Um, traumatic grieving process of his favorite son who's now who's now lost so Jacob when we get into his characters we will in a little bit he's kind of um, the paradigm of the person or the part of us that's in eternal struggle the part of us that is demanding, and you know, don't forget me, don't forget me. Stay with the loss, um, stay with the past, and it's a real, it's a really important part. <coughs> Israel in itself means to struggle with God, and we see that even in Jacob's old age, Israel's old age, he's still not settled, and he, you know, moves to Egypt. So he's never really found his home. He's always kind of up in the air. Joseph, on the other hand, is kind of the paradigm of transcendence. He keeps his dreams alive under all circumstances. Um, and no matter how far he is, he is from home, he still kind of carries a connection with home. So these two sides, these transcending and including, are really held within these two archetype characters of Jacob and Joseph. And we all have those parts in, in us where we're per perpetually transcending and perpetually um, struggling. Um, so, so just another personal story of, about this, of this perpetual struggle and transcendence um, is my story of uh, quitting smoking cigarettes, which um, I started smoking when I was kind of young, like for me, like 13. 
and smoked for you know a bunch of years after and tried to quit many many times and um, the thing that worked unfortunately uh, was found in a metaphor of a pretty sick child um, I worked at a first summer at a school um, like a, a camp for kids with special needs and five and younger and there was one child um, that I really loved um, and his you know part of his you know differences was that he um, would just get so angry just if he got set off and angry he would just have this compulsion to just kind of like run into a wall like that was how he got it out and when I worked with him I would know him getting angry so I would kind of hold him right and he's trying to get out he's trying to hit the wall and I'm holding him back because I know letting him go is not the compassionate thing to do and he's getting you know more angry and finally that, so that part of him that knows that it's going to be painful kind of wins out and his energy would just you know drop and he would just collapse in my arms and just allow me to hug him and, and hold him um, so we see there that that struggle and transcendence and, and the, so I saw that metaphor in the smoking and um, you know and if you are um, someone who deals with any kind of addiction I you know just offer this to you um, you know that the, the compulsion for me to smoke was like banging my head against the wall and even though I knew that it was painful um, I just couldn't stop myself so I'd have you know at the beginning I just had to hold I said I'm just holding myself back like I'm holding this child eventually the compulsion is going to let go to the wisdom that this is just not healthy um, and so it took me you know that powerful metaphor to stop so I think if we look within we'll find many places where we're struggling and transcending you know intention so going back to the Parsha is called Vayechi which means and he lived and of course in the fun way that the Torah Torah talks, this Parsha is about the end of Jacob's life. So he's in Egypt now. Everything's wonderful. He's surrounded mm -hmm. by his children, his grandchildren. Um, Jacob is re reunited with his beloved son, Joseph, who he thought was dead for many years. So it's the resolution of this very, very tragic story. And there's this really... Um, amazing kind of story behind the story called the Midrash of when the brothers go back to tell Jacob that Joseph is alive they're afraid and they're pretty much right that if they just tell him hey dad just kidding Joseph's not dead he's actually king of Egypt the doctor no he's a king you know? <laughs> come on um, they're worried that he will that he'll just can't take that the good news um, so they get one of, one of Jacob's granddaughters, who they named Serach, um, who's supposedly an like, amazing musician. It's a harp or a lyre, I don't know, some instrument. And I've heard a few versions. The prettier one was that they, um, they kind of allow her to sing the news to Jacob so he could kind of take it in a gentle way. And actually, upon hearing it, the Midrash goes that his soul does leave him but uh, but Sarah kind of like sings the soul back to his body right so you just get a sense of um, how huge this was how massive this this experience was for Jacob how big the the loss is um, and how and how much transcendence was was being asked of him at that time so when he's in Egypt and he's talking to Joseph you know one of these, the beginning words basically that he's saying, so just from the verse, it says, and Israel, who's also Jacob, said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, and lo, God has let me see your children too. So in the Hebrew, Vayomer Yisrael el Yosef, Re'eh panecha lo pilalti, her'aoti Elohim gam et zarecha. The Torah's word choice for thought, I, I had not thought to see your face, is very curious. In the Hebrew, we have the word pilalti, that this means thought. But this word pilalti has the same root as lehit palel, or tefillah, which to pray or prayer. So the Torah is providing, as you know, I'm reading in, some insight as to what it means to really pray 
in the face of the most terrible circumstances. Jacob is not only saying simply that he not thought he would see Joseph's face. Rather, he was saying he never believed or imagined the possibility that he would see Joseph's face again. And this is what prayer really can be, an opportunity to imagine the unimaginable, to create possibility where there seems to be impossibility. Now imagine we could really tap into that, right? That's kind of what I'm after here, (laughs) is to be able to tap into that. And what does it mean to tap into that in the face of the reality of the world, um, which is that it's not a perfect place? Maybe. So we tap into our spiritual life through prayer. We are accessing what Viktor Frankl calls the defiant power of the human spirit. That's the defiant power of the human spirit. Of course, Viktor Frankl um, is the author of Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, He's a Holocaust survivor who came up with logotherapy, which is basically meaning-based therapy. How could we live life with a stable and sustainable sense of meaning? Contrary to what people believe, he didn't actually come up with a theory in uh, the concentration camp. He was a psychiatrist before. He had his theory, um, and he kind of, uh, through testing it out, basically, in the camps, he attributes that to his, to his survival. It's a really short and uh, good, good read. So this defiant power of the human spirit, as he calls it, is also known as chutzpah, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That... <laughs> When we pray in a traditional sense, we say, here's just an example, say, hey, God, there are a lot of things wrong with this world, and the solution seems impossible, but I believe that life can be different, and I am not going to give up on doing my part to make it different. So when Jacob says that he thought that he would never see Joseph again, we see his lapse into despair, his disconnection with the possibility that life can turn out any different than the misery he was living in. He lost touch with the defiant power of his human spirit. In the face of a horrendous tragedy like the one that occurred at Sandy Hook Elementary School, taking time to dwell in the Jacob response is very natural and important. Little children's lives were, were brutally cut short, as were the lives of the teachers and staff that stayed dutifully to protect them. It is important to acknowledge the brokenness of our world Though unlike Jacob, we should make sure that our spirits are not broken too. So I want to talk about that, about briefly sitting with, because um, if I just went went on, then I wouldn't be true to my talk here, because transcending means that you're not forgetting. It means sitting with and learning how to sit with. So a teacher that I sat with um, a couple of times, Norman Fisher, he's a Zen Buddhist Jewish meditation teacher in the Bay Area. He talks about sitting at the door of your heart. And the way that he explains it is when something comes up that's hard, Um, we shouldn't force ourselves to just open up to sensation around it. Um, But what you can do is imagine as if your door is a heart and on the other side of the door, you know, might be sitting that, waiting that pain, the suffering, um, you know, the trauma. And when you sit, instead of like just swinging the door open, just sit next to the door. You know, maybe at first you're like, you know, metaphorically, you're like 10 feet away. And you just sit 10 feet away until, you know, one day you might say, okay, I could get a little a little bit closer and a little closer. This could be a process of years. But until eventually, you might be able to sit near the door and maybe crack it open a little bit and peek inside. And, you know, so it's this real gentle way of sitting with... Um, and opening up to, to the challenges of life, to the real um, harsh, harshness of life. You can't push people or yourself through grief or trauma, but you could lend your presence to its healing. And so that's the idea 
is sitting at the door of your heart is just lending your presence a little bit at a time to the possibility of healing. And we'll see that that sitting with and believing that it could be different, even though you're not sure how, that's, that's prayer. That's what I want to call prayer, at least in part. It's a, it's a not such a perfect um, example, but it took me seven years to not have cravings to smoke cigarettes. You know, after I quit, I still had cravings for a long time after. Um, but eventually, so, you know, things take time to heal. So it's important to focus on the Jacob approach of sitting with because transcendence does not mean moving past or forgetting. Transcendence is learning and growing and being forever changed and acknowledging that you're forever changed by what happened and living a new day as a changed person. So I want to give um, a story of the this defiant power of spirit as we kind of we include and we, we go into transcendence a little bit. So this defined power of spirit is the is what holds, Frankel talks about it, what holds our creative potential. And that is what having a spirit is all about. It's when you, you know, when everything seems like I don't know what to do, but you kind of like could come up with some creative solution, that's Victor Frankl calls you've just accessed your defiant power of the spirit because everything around you is saying, no, it's done, there's no other option. But yet, I think that's what being an inspirited human is all about, is being able to say, I'm not going to accept the boundaries. You know, there is another possibility. So, and a, just a simple example of that is like, how many times have I invited people to retreat and they're like, be quiet, I could never do that, you know? And then they come and they're like, it was amazing, you know? <laughs> so we surprise ourselves all the time. So here's a story um, from the Gemara, which is um, a rabbinic discourse of arguments, wonderful text, um, about, I think, about the defiant power of the, the human spirit. So the character, the main character in the story is named Choni Hamagel. And um, you'll see in this that, that um, as James has talked, went very well with the, with the theme of being in a, in a rainstorm. This one you know, also lends to that. And I think that subconsciously we did actually plan for a retreat like this, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so Choni uh, Hamagel means, Hamagel comes from the word circle. So he's Choni the circle maker, and you'll see why he's called that in a second. The rabbis taught, it once happened, the greater part of the month of Adar had passed and no rain had yet fallen. That's a very, very bad thing. Like, in Israel, there's no real source of water. If it doesn't rain, that's not really good. This was before pipelines of water. Uh, they really, it was all about rain. Choni Amagel was thereupon requested to pray for rain. He was kind of the local you know, shaman, and they were like, okay, it's time for you to get, get busy. So he prayed, but no rain descended. So he marked out a circle around him, that's why he's called Hamagel, placed himself in the midst of it, and said, and now listen to this chutzpah, creator of the universe, <laughs> your children have always looked up towards me as being like a son of your house before you. I swear, therefore, by your great name that I shall not move from this place until you have compassion upon your children a.k.a. make it rain. Whereupon, the rain commenced to drop down gently. Said the, the disciples, his students said to him, uh, may it be that we, that we may see you and not die, which means gravel, 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 gravel. <laughs> For we think the rain is merely dropping in order to release you from your vow. They basically said, it's just gently raining. You, you know, you just want to get out of your vow not leave, leaving the circle, but Come on, we want rain. Um, and he replied, so Choni replies not to them, but to God. He says, it was not for this I prayed, 
but for rain sufficient to fill the wells, cisterns, and caves. The rain they'll fell in torrents, each drop being as large as the mouth of a barrel. Mm. <laughs> the, the disciples again said to him, Rabbi, may we see you and not die. Grovel, grovel, grovel. <laughs> we believe that the rain is falling in order to destroy the world. He again said, Choni says again to God, not for such rains have I prayed, but for mild, felicitous, and liberal showers. <laughs> the rain then descended in the usual manner until the Israelites of Jerusalem were obliged to seek refuge from the city to the Temple Mount on account of the rain. So it rained so much that the city was like filling up, so they had to run to the Temple Mount. Uh, okay. This was before rubber rafts, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm reading it because it's great. This the language is awesome. Uh, okay, so he says, Rabbi, as you have prayed that the rain might descend, pray now that it may cease. So they come to him and they say, okay, good job, you made it rain, you filled your vow, now let's cut, knock it off. And he replied, Choni replied, I love this line, I have a tradition that it is not permitted to pray for a cessation of too much good. Mm-hmm. Still, Bring me a peace off, uh, a praise offering. So I'll do it anyway. <laughs> it was accordingly brought to him, the, the animal, probably, it was probably an animal that was going to be slaughtered for a praise offering to God. And putting both hands upon it, he said, Creator of the universe, your people which you have brought out of Egypt cannot be sustained either with too much evil or too much good. When you were angry with them, they could no longer bear it. And now that you have showered too much good upon them, they cannot bear it either. Let it be your will that the rains may cease and the world becomes happy. Thereupon, a wind came up, dispersed the clouds, the sun commenced to shine, and the people went out into the fields and brought back mushrooms. Mm. <laughs> That's from the Talmud. <laughs> <laughs> So there's many ways to go into this story, um, but the the way that I want to just the theme is just that chutzpah that that choni brings that defiant power of the spirit of saying, you know, I'm just gonna stay here and pray until until I have change. Um, so choni represents the Joseph stage in dealing with tragedy. He keeps his dreams alive and never loses a connection with his with the defiant defiant power of his spirit. I'm not Choni, and as far as I can tell, I don't pray for something and it just happens. But the rain, maybe the rain stops, maybe it did work. Because when I was writing this out, I was like, maybe I'll, just as a joke, pray for it to stop raining. And and it won't, but maybe it did, I don't know. So cross out that one. Um, You know, but even so, that, um, you know, I, if someone's a miracle maker in this room, speak up. I have a few to ask for. But, you know, as far as that, prayer is something that's very important to me, um, mainly because it has sustained me a lot in my path. Um, and I really do see it as the key um, kind of spirit, Jewish spiritual practice. Um, and, I want to, and, I'm, and I'm talking about prayer in the wide lens, not just like the mumble, 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 mumble prayer which is important too. Um, and I struggle a lot with prayer. And since I've started meditation practice, I struggle even more sometimes with prayer because meditation just seems so um, useful and, and transformative. And prayer um, oftentimes does not to me. Um, it gets stale and it gets um, like hard to deal with the language. And all these things come up. Um, and I and and I struggle on with with um, sustaining a, like a healthy prayer practice, um, but that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, wanting both, you know, I want both. I want <coughs> prayer and I want meditation. That's why I love doing the chanting services because I feel like I could I could get both. Um, so I want to open up prayer. That's my goal for myself right now. I want to open up prayer beyond the mumble to its contemplative and spiritual roots. And again, when I'm saying spiritual, I'm talking about that, that creative power within, not the, 
the invis like not necessarily um, kind of spiritual as in like the soul or the um, invisible unseen. I'm talking about the creative power that we do see all around us. So I want to get into prayer a little bit. And um, first, just starting with the word in Hebrew, lehit palel. So the first thing to know, which you know some folks might know, lehit palel is a reflexive verb in Hebrew. That means that I'm doing something to myself. Okay, and if we look at the verb, the ver the verb for lehit palel or tefillah, we have a word that means to clarify. So tefillah is translated, or lehit palel to pray, translates as the inner clarification, right? To go inside and kind of sort yourself out. That's prayer. That's, how the, that, that's what that word, the Hitzpalel, means. So um, one thing I do to keep my prayer practice alive is I cycle through prayer books <laughs> because they're different and they, you know, they have different insights. So currently, I'm working with this one which is a reform prayer book. It's a new thing for me. Mishkan Tefillah. It's a nice color, and it's a good size to travel. Um, it's called Mishkan Tefillah for travels. For travels. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I just love, the, I love some of their poetry um, where they kind of take an interpretive view of prayer. So here's, here's something about prayer. Um, and this is traditionally supposed to be said at the beginning of the site, or traditionally, this is um, there in, like an interpretive prayer around the, um, the, the beginning of the standing prayer, Amidah, or the silent prayer. Prayer invites God's presence to suffuse our spirits, God's will to prevail in our lives. Prayer may not bring water to parched fields, nor mend a broken bridge, nor build a ruined city, but prayer can water an arid soul, mend a broken heart, rebuild a weakened will. This is the reading portion. And again from Rob Cook, I'm just going to do the English. Um, actually, I'll read it first. There's a few Israelis, so I'll do the Hebrew. It's fun. Um, so what I'm getting at and why I'm bringing these sources is um, to change our perspective. That the idea of praying um, for, and I guess I wonder how this is going to sound against your teaching this morning of the, you know, just pray for whatever you want. But I think we have to be like, we should pray for whatever we want and we should pray for rain and we should pray for the bridge to, to be fixed. But I think, you know, part of just being alive is acknowledging that words are not enough, um, you know, to, real, to make change. Um, they're catalysts, but um, I think where prayer can be beneficial by itself is, you know, as the Mishkan Tefillah prayer suggests, in, you know, interchange. But again, that too is only catalyst because you need to, to show it. You need to show, you know, show up. So let's look at this, this prayer. I'll read it in Hebrew and then in English. Uh, this is a poem by Rob Cook. I read um, one of his poems two days ago. Or yesterday. 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 <laughs> עם כמה עניינים הנוגעים לעולם, לישראל ולבריאות. ימין אדוני רוממה ועושה חייל, וחסר אדוני מעולם על יראיו, או יראיו. זה 
Even though I greatly desire certain spiritual heights, in any case, I must know and clarify my unique path. I intend directly to the compassion of heaven for the opening of the gates of light, the gates of strength, the gates of holiness, the gates of righteousness, and still more elevated, the gates of salvation, the gates of repentance and return, to grasp and understand, to know and to feel what I need for myself, which is also connected to several issues relating to the world, to Israel, and to all of life. The right hand of Yudhei Bapei Adonai is raised and does battle, and Adonai's love is forever on those in awe of the one. So again, here we talk about, he's talking about this yearning, this desiring, this praying, um, but that comes with the clarification of the unique path, which goes back a little what I was saying yesterday. And this whole language, this metaphor of doing battle with the right hand of God is, is the right hand of love. Right? To grasp, understand, to know, and to feel what I need for myself as it relates to the world and to all of life. So we're opening up prayer here. We're seeing that um, prayer is not just about, you know, saying words and praying to God and then expecting great things to happen, but that prayer is a process. There we go. Prayer is a process. It's a process of transformation. It's a process of inner clarification. Um, and so uh, we're going to look at, very quickly, the establishment of the three daily prayers. In Judaism, we have morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. Each one was established by a different ancestor, and there's a verse. Um, there's a verse connected to when they when they prayed. Um, they're always, and it looks to me, they're always that they deal with loss and with tragedy. And that's where prayer arises. So the first is Abraham, or Abraham. He prays in the morning, um, and this is the story right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Gomorrah. So you can imagine, you know, it's like we read these stories, oh, and Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. If like, you really think about it, like, that's terrifying to witness that. You know, if you kind of like put your emotion into the stories, um, you know, this is one where, you know, we're just kind of, I've always, you know, learning it just kind of glanced over, but you really put in yourself, you could just feel that fear um, of a whole, people, a whole city getting destroyed, you know, like they say they were bad, but I mean, you know, it's not just an easy thing to just run through if you really think about it. So basically, like, with no need, because the Torah talks more about Lot's family and not really, or excuse me, about Abraham's family and not about Abraham himself, but it stops to tell us this. It says, and Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And the rabbis say, oh, this is where we're learning about prayer in the morning. What is Abraham doing? He got up. He just showed up. There's many ways to look at it, but I want to suggest he just got up. And sometimes getting up is a prayer. Sometimes when you are in despair and you you know feeling down, you're in depression, and you have the gumption and the conviction to just get out of bed, that's no small feat. And that in itself, just that simple act, could be a, could be a, um, a way of prayer, a way of showing prayer, is just showing up. Isaac prays in the afternoon, so this is Abraham's son. He prays in the afternoon, and the story comes really to, to teach us about how he got over his, um, the grief of his, of his mother, it's something that was really deep and, and uh, hard for him, not to mention that his father tried to kill him on an altar. That's also pretty traumatic. Um, so it says, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field. That's the translation from the plain old, you know, plain old Bible. Meditate in the field at the eventide. Um, in the Hebrew, he went out to converse in the field. Right? So something where he is 
looking for connection, right? And he's coming to a wide open, empty field and speaking out, knowing that there is connection possible in a place where no one's around. Um, Jacob prays in the evening, Yaakov. We talked a little bit about him. So he, they say he kind of established the evening prayer. And for him, it's happening. He basically gets into a big hullabaloo with his brother. It's not safe to him stay at home. So his mother says, go quick, you know, leave your, home, leave your homeland and go to, my uncle, go to my brother. He has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's completely cut off from his past. His future is um, undecided or unclear. Um, you know, for me, I could connect with this of just that, that existential fear of like, oh my God, like what's next? Sometimes we just don't know what's next, how terrifying that could be. Um, so, and it, so it says, and he lighted upon the place, or vayifka bamakom vayalen sham. Vayifka has a connotation of he just got stopped. You know, it's those moments of in sitting practice when, you know, you have that accident of waking up, right? You don't choose it. It's just that accident of waking up. And then at the end it says, vayishka bamakomahu and he lay down. So Abraham, his grandfather, wakes up in prayer, and he lies down in prayer. So it's a letting go. It's a surrender. It's saying, okay, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't have to know what to do. Um, I'm going to hang out here, and I'm going to see what happens. So prayer at its roots from these three psukim could be a showing up fully as you are, broken however you are, a reaching out for connection, even in an empty field, right? even if no one's around, or you have no idea what the possibility of actually connecting is going to look like, and a surrender and allowing the mystery of the universe to show up to you. That's in Jacob's case. Right? So it's a showing up, a reaching out, and a letting go. Isn't that what we've been talking about the whole time, basically? <laughs> I think maybe that's, maybe that's Jewish, Jewish meditation. Show up, reach out, let go. So I think this is summarized well in the, um, ele- the step 11 of the 12 steps. Very shortly it says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. So it's beyond, here it goes just that one step beyond the, the surrendering, letting go, and it's opening up to, to the action. And so just as a very brief, inspiring example of that, is Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. So a modern example where he was very um, active in the uh, protest with Martin Luther King um, to um, bring equality to this country, or a huge step, we're still working on it. So a quote, and I have a great picture here to prove it, mm-hmm. that it happened. Um, I'm gonna, I'll, just put it up over there outside this board so we could get a little inspiration. And Heschel's the only one with the crazy hair. <laughs> Forgot to wear a hat that day. Um, so he said, for many of us, the march from Selma to Montgomery was both protest and prayer. Legs are not lips and walking is not kneeling. And yet our legs uttered songs. Even without words, our march was worship." I felt my legs were praying. So I think that's the final um, leap in prayer. Um, that it's you know allowing us to be inspired to action. Um, and it doesn't just end at the um, sitting and the letting go, but that it's um, embracing the, the transformation that happens in the transcendence and then changing the world. Um, and that's um, 
the blessing of this practice is actually getting um, insight how to be a different person so the world can be a different place. Um, so um, just two more sources and we'll put this one to bed. So this is from a book called The Work of the Heart. Um, it's, uh, excuse me. It's from a book called Stories We Pray. It's the intro. Um, and it's a great book that just tells little stories about the different Jewish prayers, like where they came from and different stories connected to them. So he says, uh, the author's Joel Lurie, he says, Once Jews offered sacrifices in the temple. These sacrifices called avodah work. When prayers replaced sacrifices, they were called avodat halev, the work of the heart. So slaughtering of the animals, calling work, became work of the heart. The secret to prayers, bringing us closer to God, and not just being words we say, is kavana. Kavana, usually translated as intention, actually comes from a root that means aiming or pointing. One needs to learn how to read Hebrew, to, pr- uh, to read Hebrew prayers. One needs to learn how to understand prayers. And one needs to learn where to point one's heart while one is praying. Heart pointing is how we do avodat halev. So when we look at that, that fusion of, you know, how do we locate meditation and prayer together, um, I would say right now, from this exploration, that um, prayer prayer becomes real within the context of of the meditation practice, within the um, showing up to be present, with the acknowledgement of suffering, um, with the wanting to be wanting to be awake. What we talked about with, to the showing up, to the reaching out and to the letting go. Um, and just one last one, so you get a little bit of you know, Jews that were meditating in, this, in this, this Gemara that we talk about a lot here. It's a really long, long text. Um, one book is called Blessings, Brachot, and there's a little teaching that says, one should not stand up to prayer unless this person is in a serious frame of mind, literally heaviness of head, which they really talk about as concentrated. The original pious ones used to wait one hour and then pray in order to direct their hearts or point their hearts towards the omnipresent, towards God. While one is reciting the silent prayer, Shmon Esrei, even if a Jewish king greets him, literally asks about his welfare, he should not respond to the king. And even if a, and they're adding non-poisonous, even if a snake wraps around the person's heel, they should not interrupt the prayer, right? So these um, teachings of concentration as a gateway to prayer um, are very present in the Jewish, Jewish text. So just to close up, I want to take us back to Newtown because we can't forget about Newtown. Um, Just like we can't forget about 9-11, and we can't forget about um, what's happening in Israel. We can't forget about our own personal losses. Um, That's not the point. Um, That's not the point of prayer. That's not the point of this practice. It's not just to forget about what bothers us. We can't pray for things not to have happened. Can't pray, and we shouldn't tell the parents to pray that their kids come back to life. It's not going to do any good. But we could respond with prayer as a process of changing ourselves and the world. We could respond with prayer as a process of changing ourselves and the world. We could be inspired or take inspiration, spirit in, that creative power in, from Heschel, from Martin Luther King, from people who, from Rosa Parks, from people who grew up in a totally different reality from ours not so long ago and have made drastic changes to the world 
So we should call them in when we are feeling there's no there's no choice, there's no option, um, because they they'll 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 prove us wrong. They'll say there is an option. So. I don't, I'm not an activist. I always say I'm not an activist. Um, I'm not someone who's going to like storm the castle of, of Washington, D.C. and, um, you know, join Ben the Ark and <laughs> do those types of things, even though Ben the Ark is a Jewish social justice organization, even though I do, I'm getting more interested. Um, but I think this work is a form of activism. So, I, so people say, you can't say you're not an activist. You are an activist. Um, I think working, um, each of us, to um, free ourselves of those boundaries that the world has, said, has set upon us, free ourselves of the boundaries that we put around who we think we are and what we can accomplish, um, through... Um, getting up and showing up to practice every day, as, you know, and sometimes that practice is missing it and then doing it a few days later, but, to, you know, to return. Um, for the purpose of having more compassion, seeing suffering and being inspired to do something, um, is maybe that's, you know, um, people throw around the, around the term spiritual activism. Maybe that's more, um, maybe that's where it fits into um, so I want to end just giving us all a, a bracha, a blessing. <sighs> that as we grow in our awareness, we should grow in our awareness of the suffering and of what's, what's imperfect with this world and simultaneously we should look for inspiration in that same imperfect place in our pasts in the presence of friends around us in figures who have done the work and have brought change and especially taking inspiration from the small moments from the sick children who could laugh from the creative ways that we integrate medicine and healing into our lives. And we should sustain, be sustained by our prayer and our meditation, by our preditation, <laughs> our meta-prayer, to know that we can bring change, that we can bring change by our being more loving in this world. So let us just sit for a minute with that. <laughs> 